Hour number two here on the Sports Blast, ESPN New Hampshire and ESPNNHradio.com. About 20 minutes, we'll get into the Aaron Hernandez verdict from yesterday. Still kind of shocked at the way that one turned out, Uh, but we'll get to that as we continue to talk about the Celtics here. And uh, Mark, we were talking about this in the break. Since the Celtics got the number one seed, considering the way the NBA uh, playoff bracket works, they actually get to avoid the Toronto Raptors in the second round, assuming they get past the Bulls. Yeah, it's a and weird that was setup. a team that was a team that we wanted them to avoid. Right. And one of Brian's arguments uh, a couple weeks ago was, I don't want them to get the number one seed because at the time, the way the Eastern Conference standings were looking, they would face off with the Toronto Raptors in the second round. Right. But, but the way things fell, the way the chips fell, they don't have to face the Toronto Raptors until the Eastern Conference Finals, and we expect the Cavs to be the other team in the Eastern Conference Finals that the Celtics get that far. Yeah, and it's a gift. It's, it's a gift by um, you know the NBA gods because, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you're going to face the, the Wizards or the Hawks rather than the Cavs or the Raptors you know, in, right. the, in the second round. I would much rather that. I, I would. Toronto has their number. I would I would want a test, but I think I'm getting a test out of the Wizards or Hawks anyway. Uh, I don't want tests in the playoffs. I'm 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 path of least resistance type guy in the postseason. I mean, tests are for the regular season. Once you get to the postseason, screw tests. Just get as far as you can. True. And that's why uh, I think was it last year or earlier this year when we were talking about you know what kind of path you want, and Brian gave a BS answer about like yeah. you know I I want the hardest path, and we all looked at them like he had five <laughs> heads, like why? True. It's like, no, it's you path the of least form. resistance. You want the easiest path. I, I, I agree. Um, I do have a stat for you, though. I, I believe it's um, the Celtics, when they're the number one seed, they make it to the NBA Finals five out of six times. Um, in their history. In their history. So I, I think, you know, numbers plays a role, you know, just in regards to motivation. I, I think it's a, you know, a clean sweep in regards to a new season with the playoffs. So I don't think that really has an impact but I think that should be in the back of their minds that this is a successful franchise in, in, in the NBA history. And I think Brad Stevens has to realize that we have to live up to it because we have to follow the tradition of Celtics basketball. And that's a winning mentality, playing fundamentally sound basketball, no errors. And I'm telling you right now, if, if they turn over the basketball in the Chicago series – I'm going to really question the discipline going on with this team and, oh. and, and the message being sent. Okay, I want to just react to the stat you just gave me. Uh, so you said five of the six times in history when the Celtics have finished with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, they've made it, they've to, the made it to the Finals. NBA Finals. They haven't won every time, obviously, no. but they have made it. Right. The thing is, those five of those six times, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of those were Larry Bird era <laughs> You know, one of them obviously was KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. So a, a couple of them were. So yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. As we've been saying, and I agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're a fraudulent number one like Dave. They are, but but they they might not exactly be worthy of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Record-wise, they are. Record-wise, but, but yeah. I would say that, yeah, in the Eastern Conference, they're probably the second or third best team when you talk about the talent. I would say third. And, so yeah, isn't third. that the definition of a fraudulent team when your I, record says you're the best, I, I, but you know you're not the best? Not necessarily. You play because the you games look at other sports. You look at other sports. You play the games that are on your schedule. Yeah. You look at the total wins at the end of the year, and it's a tangible point of reference you can look at and say, you finished with the most wins 
you are, by definition, the by best. wins, the best team. Even though when we look deeper past the numbers, past the wins, we're like, well, are you, though? I mean, you could do that in football where you could say, are, hey, Are they, though? Can you answer that question for me? <laughs> are they? Are they actually? No. Are I'll they? be the first one to tell you they are not. Which makes them a fraud number one But seed. fraud is such a strong word. I mean, I mean they're, yeah. They're, okay, fine. Fixed. They, uh, I won't use the, the word fraud. I'd say I will say they are a, a an illusion of a number one team. I think that's a little bit better way of putting it. I think you could it's say that. Same yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, the same thing. It's actually such a strong worse. <laughs> no, I, it actually no. sounds worse. No, I think you can say no. Let's put it this way: they are an overachieving number one seed. Sure, they're a uh, number okay, two, let, number three seed masquerading as a number like one this, seed. Then, all right, the number them being the number one seed doesn't translate into postseason success necessarily. No, it just gives them home court throughout the Eastern Conference right. playoffs. So they have an advantage now that they've finished number one. It gives them hope. But just because they're the number one seed doesn't mean they're the best team going into the playoffs. No, but that's true of any sport. I mean, like, I know know you guys hate when I do this and I cross other sports because it does change depending on what sport you're talking about. Mm. But how often in the NFL do we look at a team that had a BS easy schedule and ends up with 13, 14 wins? And we're like, oh, they're, they're not. I mean, like, yeah, sure. they're the number one seed. And obviously that is different. Seed. You don't and, play every team in the NFL. Sure, so that's why it's a little bit games. different. But how often do we see that and be like, oh, they're not the best team. This team that won 11 games, mm-hmm. they had a tougher road. They had a tougher division. They're the better team. Agreed. You, that happens all the time in sports. I mean, maybe less so in the NBA than in the NFL. Because it's an 82-game schedule. Sure. When it plays out on an 82-game schedule, usually the chips are going to fall where they're supposed to. Fine, but how often do we say in the NFL, like, hey, that team's a fraudulent number one no we say hey they're the uh, okay, number one fine, seed. but don't don't go with the the league that has 16 games on their schedule go with the the leagues that have the 82 game schedule it's the nba and it's hockey usually at the end of an 82 game schedule or even baseball 162 game schedule the best teams are where they're supposed to be now uh, now it's not as if the celtics aren't right around where they should be they should probably be the two seed if you're looking if you're looking at the talent the rosters out there in the postseason they're probably the second or third best team in the East. So there you I go. They're, they're the second or the third best team in the East right. who got the number one seed. It's not like they were like a crap team that just went on a run near the end of the season because they faced a lot of sub-500 teams and then somehow crept to the top of the East because a bunch of the other teams fell out of it. Right. No, they were competitive all year. Granted, they had some trouble with teams like Toronto and Cleveland, and they, they also had trouble uh, in the Western Conference with teams that were above 500. I think they had... Uh, close to a losing record, Utah, right, or something Jack, like that, with yeah, with Utah, the teams over Jazz, 500. Right, Phoenix, so, so so yeah, okay, fine. They may not be. Look, I'm not saying that this is a powerhouse by any means. The East, as we all know, has been relatively weak for the last couple of years, right? It's basically Cleveland and everyone else. But at the end of the day, they are the number one seed, and we can't argue that. Like, if you were to ask me who is the number one seed in the East this year, it's Boston. They are the number one seed. There's nothing they can do about okay. it. If uh, let me just ask, if this series goes seven. And they and they advance. What what are you guys thinking at that point? If it goes trouble. seven against the Bulls, trouble. if it goes seven, I I wouldn't necessarily trouble. say trouble because look, this is a team that what have we been saying for the past month or so? They do not have a superstar, so I don't have a problem if it goes seven games because 
Because they're not as good as their record indicates. They're not, and I'll be the first one to admit okay, that. Okay. But the thing is, I just have <laughs> so a problem. That's my no, only but, argument. No, but I have a problem with the terminology that we're using when we're calling them a fraud. Number one. But, which, I which, mean, that's just I mean, semantics. That's, you know what I'm semantics. getting at. Sure. You know what I'm getting. At. Sure, but I mean, like what's they're wrong? not as good as their record or their position but indicates. Okay, I so can't maybe believe I'm, we so wasted I'm, ten minutes. I'm just saying, I hate the semantics. I have a, I have a problem with the semantics. I got points to make about this series. We got a whole Celtic segment coming up next too, don't we? Or maybe not. No, let's Sorry, go ahead, so go Mark, ahead, Mark. go ahead, because I, I do want to hear a lot about the matchups here, because I think, like, we just agreed the last segment that Jimmy Butler's the best player on the court. And then it sort of goes up for debate. Isaiah's probably your next best player, and then you yeah. can look at the rest of the rosters. You can say that the Celtics have more depth and better coaching. They should win this series. In my opinion, they should win it pretty easily, because, again, the Bulls are the eight seed. They didn't have a good regular season, and I do account for momentum when you're talking about carrying over from the regular season into the postseason, but everything gets intensified in the playoffs. Isaiah's not going to have as much room to shoot, and no mm. one will ha have as much room to shoot, but they're going to key in on Isaiah. I will say that I don't take stats accountable, you know, bringing into the postseason, but there is one in my mind, and it has stuck, you know, through me through, throughout the entire week, and that stat is rebounds. Okay, the Chicago Bulls were tied for... First, in the NBA with 12.2 offensive rebounds per game. Against Boston, they had 15 offensive rebounds per game. Robin Lopez averages three per game. In my eyes, that is a key stat because I think that the Chicago Bulls, they miss a lot of shots, okay? They're, they're not like a guarantee in every single time they shoot, you know, so they don't have the highest field goal percentage in the NBA, but in my eyes, if you're going to give them second chances to give them another possession of the basketball in a playoff like playoff atmosphere, you really need to step up and box the crap out of Robin Lopez and the guys that can grab rebounds like Merrill Titch as well. Because if you don't, it's going to be a long series, and you're going to give Rajon Rondo and Jimmy Butler a lot of freedom around the perimeter to do their thing. And I, I think, you know, moving forward, the, the, the games versus, um, you know, the Chicago Bulls throughout the regular season have come down, to, down the stretch. Like the Marcus Smart foul at the end of in, in Chicago. Like that played a, a major factor in regards to why the Celtics, you know, really hit like a, a stomping ground there. They, they really hit ground zero at that point because they, they just were lost. They they don't like they don't remember why they lost. They don't know how they lost. So I I think it's revenge now for the Boston Celtics to say, you know what, Chicago, you got away with that win in your home, but now it's the playoffs. We're gonna start doing everything correctly, and the way you do it is not give up 15 offensive rebounds against the Chicago Bulls. You you can't do that. If you do it, it's going to be a long, long oh, yeah. series. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt the Chicago Bulls are a flawed team and, and definitely um, have a lot of holes. But when you start giving up, I don't care who you are, when you start giving up second-chance opportunities to anyone. 15. And the Celtics are one of those teams that just can't rebound for the life of them. And when you start giving up those opportunities where teams miss a shot, get the offensive rebound, and then get second-chance points, I don't care who you are. If you're giving those opportunities away, it's going to be a short series, not in your favor. I mean, you we can't allow those. We soared against Milwaukee at home. You know, Milwaukee missed a ton of shots, and the reason why they they had success and were still in the game is because Greg Monroe and 
you know, all these guys coming off the bench for, you know, the, the big guys for the Milwaukee Bucks and Jason Kidd's team really started grabbing rebounds and staying in the game and getting second chance points. And, and if you let that happen over the course of the series, not only do you use your demeanor as being an, an aggressive attack mode team, because it loses, you know, consistency in regards to momentum of the basketball. Because if you give second chance opportunities to the opponent, you lose your stride in regards to fast break opportunities and a defensive mindset because now you're down and out because you can't grab the loose balls. So I think it comes down to the it factors, you know, the, the, the stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. You know, uh, Marcus Smart's going to have to take charges. You know, Kelly Olynyk's going to have to start grabbing rebounds. Amir Johnson's going to have to have a presence in the paint or else – uh, Felicio, the guy from the Chicago Bulls coming off the bench, if he starts grabbing three, four offensive rebounds, Amir Johnson, you're sitting on the bench in my eyes, and I'm putting in Jordan Mickey, okay? Brad Stevens, this this has to be where you, you uh, set the standards against the players that you feel like have been underachieving. Tuka Rask, example, right? He, he faced adversity because Cassidy put him out of the game, right? There, there was moments in the, in, in the season where Brad Stevens put their players in vulnerable position. You look at Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas got benched in the fourth quarter against the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. right? So I think Brad Stevens, you know, now's not, now's not the time to do it, but I'm telling you right now, if guys aren't showing up and you have to win against the Chicago Bulls in, you know, four or five games, I want to see that. You have to have, like, a mentality to say, you know what, if he's not going to do his job, I'll put somebody else in because I have the players to do it. And I think Jalen Brown's going to be an X factor. Jalen Brown has to be an X factor in this series because he has to use his athleticism, and he's the only player besides Isaiah Thomas that can create his own shot off the dribble. And he has to grow into that presence and say, you know what, Isaiah, I can be your wing guy. You know, Avery Bradley's going to be coming off screens, playing pick and roll game with the big guys. They have to start doing what got them there, and also working on things that you know like rebounding and blocking shots, they're going to have to have a defensive presence. Because Robin Lopez, I'm telling you what, right now, he's a big, big dude. And you got to put a body on his ass or else this will be Rajon Rondo's welcome home party, if that's the case. And we don't want that. We don't want that. Lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. No, it's the truth, though. I mean, this, this is the playoffs. It is. Okay? You have to have full effort, full tilt for 48 minutes. And, and there's no excuses at this point. Because I think we've seen this team take, take a couple games off, maybe individually here and there. They haven't had their best performances. You need it all to come together now. And I don't know if the system i i've i spoke last week about how the system was starting to frustrate me the the whole uh, sort of drive the lane but then kick it back out behind the arc and launch a three it's starting to piss me off a little bit because i i, I don't think that they have the talent to be a three point shooting team and yet that's the system that Brad Stevens has instituted here. It's sh- launch threes, play defense. But I disagree, Dave. I think they're one of the better – I mean, they're no Golden State Warriors, but they're one of the better three-point shooting teams in the NBA. Because they take so many threes. Yeah, but yeah. if you just look at the players, they're not uh, – Marcus Smart should not be no, not shooting smart. threes. He's a guy that you want down low in the post, posting up, making moves down low. 
and he shouldn't be launching threes. Jay Crowder's similar. He's a big, strong guy. You want him driving the lane, not launching threes although all day. His, although when his shot's falling, it falls. But he well, needs but all yeah. day, too. He yeah. needs all day to take that three. He has to have, like, a full two seconds just to be able to set up and launch a three. He does have one of the it's, slow releases. It's, yeah. it's insane to me that they're not doing a little bit more, not being more versatile as an offense, because you don't have three-point shooters. And to me, the rebounding is a huge thing, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's one of the things it got better as the year went on, but it was the main point of concern for all of us, I think, at the beginning of the year was the rebounding. Even down the stretch. And those are physical battles. This is the postseason. Those are the battles you need to win if you want to win games. And before we go to break, I think, you know, Dave made a great point. You know, Brad Stevens, the way that he played, you know, kind of coached his team in college basketball at Butler – was it was a guard-heavy team. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have many post players. So I, I think he's trying to translate his coaching to, uh, from the college basketball to the NBA. And I think it's, it's at a roadblock because, like Dave said, you don't have the, the, shooting, the shooters on the team. If you had Klay Thompson or if you had, you know, uh, Kyle Korver, guys that can shoot lights out, I agree. You, you know, you, you drive and kick. But if you, if, you, if you don't have the players to drive and kick, what's the point of doing that? So That's just dumb. It is. It is. So Brad Stevens, he'll have to make adjustments. I agree with you, Dave. But at the same time, they don't have much of a, a post presence to really put the effort in. I agree. And, and you know what? The, the counter argument last week was this is what got them here. You know, they did win, what, 55 games by the end of it? 53. 53. 53. Which was better than last year and the year before. They've gotten incrementally better every single year under Brad Stevens. So, look, it's what got them regular season success. I don't expect it to change. I guess it comes down to execution with this team. But I think that there is – I think the biggest concern for me is those physical battles down low because it's the postseason. Those, those are the battles that effort, now, that now you need to win. Yeah. And, and you know what? Isaiah is going to be keyed big time in this series. They're going to double him up. Consistently, I think so. It's going to fall on other guys to be able to create their own shots, which no one but Isaiah can do on this team. I think Jimmy Butler is going to be playing Isaiah Thomas in the series, and I think Roger Rondo is going to be playing Avery Bradley. But talking about development of the team, really quick. So, twenty-eight wins to forty wins to forty-eight wins to fifty-three wins. Okay, but they went one and done throughout the playoffs. Let, let, let's show the Chicago only Bulls only once. Only once. I'm not counting the Cavs sweep from two years you ago. You have I just, to. Know, I can't. It's a sweep. It's a sweep. If it was, it went they five were games never going to beat the Cavs in that series. I think it's unfair to hold that against Brad Stevens in his first year as as a playoff head coach. It was his second year coaching the Celtics, right? Yeah, but yeah. his first year in the playoffs facing the Cleveland Cavaliers in round one. Yeah, you can. You I can, mean, you can get on him for getting swept. But sure, you can't get on him. But you can't get Look, on him for losing that series. I don't think anyone expected expect them to win that them to series. Win? Yeah. No, no. But when you extrapolate it to the following year, and they have a bad series against Atlanta, who they probably should have beat last year. Yeah. yeah. Then it then it's like okay, there's a little concern here in the first round. You've got to get out of the first round. And people this season have looked past this first round series, whoever it was going to be that you were going to go up against. People you have can't. been looking past it. Now you you know the team's not going to look past it. Right. I, I don't think, right. but they have been sort of talking this week about, hey, we're the number one seed, and I don't know why people don't think we're legit. 
Well, it's because you haven't won a first-round playoff series in the two years you've been there since Brad Stevens became the head coach of this team. Right, and you and Brian have been the guys that have sort of been leading this charge of, I'm not ready to talk about this team no, as an gotta, Eastern Conference final contender cool it, you know? until they like, win a freaking playoff series. you got to win a playoff series, all right? So I'm taking a, a one-step-at-a-time approach to the Celtics, just like I am the Bruins, which is which sucks because the Bruins are... You know, they're I think like the sixth seed. If it was if it was an eight team playoff format, they'd be the seven, I think. You know, and this is the number one seed in the East we're talking about here. And this is just how the development is going of this team under Brad Stevens. One year you get swept in the first round, the next year you lose a series in the first round that I think you should have won. Yes, Avery Bradley was injured. Yes, Jay Crowder wasn't a hundred percent. But come on. You should have won that series last year. If Brad Stevens is the brilliant coaching mind that he is, you should have won that first-round series last year, and you better win it this year. I got a two-word slogan for them and theme for the playoffs. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Prove, Prove it. it. You're not a fraudulent first-place team? Prove it. And very quickly, I know we're really right up against it, but I think We're every... actually way over. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to quickly say, am I, am I right in saying this, Mark, that every number one seed in NBA history has gotten out of the first round? I believe that, I think that's the case. I don't know that for sure, but I remember seeing a graphic that pretty much every number one seed in the history of the NBA has gotten out of the first round. So th- you I have that type correct. of pressure. I'll check that in the break. Yeah, but, I think you're correct, though. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's but something again, that you don't, this is don't a, blow it. This is a fraudulent number one team, so... <laughs> You know how it is. 603-883-9900. Yesterday, Aaron Hernandez was acquitted of the 2012 double murder of Daniel De Abreu and Sefiro Furtado. We'll discuss our reaction to that next on the Sports Blast ESPN New Hampshire. Allergy sufferers are hearing a lot of numbers these days about symptoms and relief. But the number sufferers want most is zero, as in zero nasal allergy symptoms. And nothing gets you closer to zero than Nasacort. Because unlike antihistamines that stop only one cause of your allergy symptoms, Nasacort stops more. And stopping more gets you closer to zero. For 24-hour relief of your worst nasal allergy symptoms, including congestion, choose Nasacort. It stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed. If there's one thing the pros at Advance Auto know, it's parts. Advance Auto Parts and Batteries. This is Sabrina. Hey, Sabrina. My car needs an oil change. We do have five quarts of Mobile One Synthetic for $29.99. That's a great price, right? It's a pretty good deal. Sounds good. It will protect your car in all seasons. Hey, you know your stuff. Why do British singers lose their accent when they sing? I'm sorry? Advance Auto Parts. We know everything about auto parts. Now get five quarts of Mobile One Full Synthetic or Mobile One High Mileage Motor Oil and a Mobile One Filter for just $29.99. See store for details. Also at participating CarQuest store. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. This may sound like a typical high school basketball game being played on a Friday night in New Hampshire. In fact, 
It's a crash course in cooperation and teamwork. It's a test of dedication, determination, and drive. It's character development in action. If you think high school sports are only about competition, think about this. High school sports can play a critical role in a student's overall education. In fact, studies show that students who participate in school sports are more likely to enjoy greater levels of achievement in their academic lives. At the same time, playing sports helps teach lessons not covered in the classroom. Lessons like tolerance, respect for the rules, and the importance of supporting your community. High school sports, a winning part of a complete education. This message presented by the New Hampshire Interscholastic Athletic Association and the New Hampshire Athletic Directors Association. Scores, standings, trades, and breaking news. This is your ESPN New Hampshire update. The Aaron Hernandez verdict is in after six days of deliberations. The jury acquitted the former Patriots tight end of the 2012 double homicide that took place in Boston. Uh, He was acquitted of every charge except the unlawful possession of a firearm. Hernandez is still serving a life sentence for the 2013 murder of Odin Lloyd. The Bruins are back in action today. They'll be taking on the Ottawa Senators uh, in Game 2 of their first-round series. Forward David, David Krejci has been ruled out for the game. He's dealing with an upper body injury and did not practice with the team yesterday. Puck drop at Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa is at 3 p.m. You can watch the game on NBC. The Red Sox fell to the Rays 10-5 last night. Rick Porcello gave up eight earned runs over four and a third innings. He was tagged for four homers, including a grand slam by Logan Morrison in the third. Porcello is now at 1-1 on the season with a 7.56 ERA. The Sox will turn to Chris Sale today. He'll be opposed by Jake Odorizzi. First pitch from Fenway is at 4.05. And the Celtics will kick off their postseason tomorrow at the Garden. They'll be opposed by Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler, and the Chicago Bulls. Tip-off in that one is at 6.30. Those are your Sports Center updates. Be sure to listen in live on ESPNNHradio.com as well as the ESPN Radio app. And check us out on TuneIn. I'm Ashish Sharma. Don't go anywhere. The Sports Blast continues right now. They have the brass. If I wanted to suck on radio, I'd be better at sucking on radio than being good on radio. The brains. Sell skivvies. More skivvies. Skivvies. Skivvies, whatever. (laughs) Skivvies? Skivvies, I don't know. Scurvies. And the falls to talk sports in New England. Dave, I think they were listening to you. They should be listening. What's hooked them so long to figure it out? The Sports Blast. But if we all whisper, then we could probably hear everything everyone's saying. It would be very interesting. Only on ESPN New Hampshire. All right, before we get into Aaron Hernandez, uh, I, I stand corrected. Uh, in the previous segment, I talked about no number one seed had ever been upset by a number eight seed uh, in the NBA in, in history, and uh, I definitely stand corrected because that's definitely not the case. Fun fact, uh, it's a happened, more. It's, it's happened quite a bit, actually, yeah. uh, in the past. And um, I think there are about five or six cases here that I read about. So it's happened. It just doesn't happen often. That's the only yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, we're not so, talking. And, and 50, I put in the disclaimer too. Teams. I was like, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about this, but I'm <laughs> pretty sure. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. That was just complete BS on my part. I'm sorry. So it has happened, but it just doesn't happen that often. Usually, if you're number one seed in the NBA, you're getting to the second round. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you weren't off that yeah, much. I wasn't off by that much. There were like five <laughs> or six cases of it. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> That's my bad. Uh, okay, let's get to Aaron Hernandez, guys. Found not guilty 
in the 2012 double murder of Daniel De Abreu and Safiro Furtado. Uh, again, in my update, I talked about how he was found not guilty on every charge except for one, the unlawful possession of a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. And I think that adds something like four to five years uh, to the life sentence he's already serving for Odin Lloyd. And a lot of people have wondered why this is significant, given he's already serving the life sentence from the other murder. Well, there are two reasons. First of all, it's for the families, right? They need closure. Even though justice was ultimately not served for this family or for the families of these two men who were murdered, we believe, by Aaron Hernandez. Oh, um, that's a definite. Ju- justice was not served for them, but at least they got some form of closure, right? So that's the first reason. And the second reason is Aaron Hernandez's lawyers probably told him if he won this case, it would help them set up a possible appeal for the Odin Lloyd murder so they could potentially go back and reopen that case and use that. And, you know, his attorney actually hinted yesterday that they might do that sooner rather than later. Oh, of course they will now. Uh, of course, that's the next move for the, for the lawyers. I mean, I, can you imagine, honestly, if this guy goes free? That would be... This I would mean, be, that, this does would anyone be the biggest... think he's not guilty? Does he, did he show any remorse, really, for, no. uh, well, for any mean, of this? Well, I mean, when you say remorse, do you, do you mean, like, the emotion that he showed? Because that's, we haven't him, heard him speak. Him in, I mean, we saw him cry. We saw him, him cry court, yesterday. Though. Yeah, he cried because he, he got a, an innocent verdict. Yeah. Well, well, hang jury. on, hang on. I, I know we've been doing, doing a lot of semantics today, but there's a difference between innocent and not guilty. Not guilty. Right. Sorry. Yeah. He uh, got, he's far he got, from innocent. He got. He was rendered a not guilty verdict, and then he cried. Right. Which yeah. means we may think he did it, but we don't have enough evidence. You have to be, you know, uh, guilty without a shadow of a doubt. Like, no, right. he did it, according to the evidence. Well, and, and so they the, didn't have that. The big thing here was the Alexander Bradley testimony, because when he testified, I mean, that was as real as it gets. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have sound for it right now. It's not even really radio appropriate. It's so freaking real. Yeah. But, like, if you if you listen to this guy testify, He's not lying. He's got no reason to lie. He basically says that, you know, if if Hernandez hadn't done it, I would have done it because they're both killers, basically. That's how it that's what it was. That was their relationship. And, uh, you know, Bradley got shot in the head by Hernandez but and lived and lived to tell the tale. I mean, you couldn't write this stuff. If if a Hollywood movie came out about an NFL player who lived a double life uh, and went on a drug infused murdering spree and still continued to have success in the NFL, and became a paranoid uh, uh, dude who just does PCP and smokes weed all day, you'd say, this story's ridiculous. Yeah. You, can't, you couldn't even believe this if it was written. You know, and, it, and that's, that's how crazy this story is. This dude had everything handed to him. He had talent, he had money, he could have been rich, famous he could have had success on the field and had history in the nfl made by him and the rest of his team and this is a guy that decided to give it all away to live that sort of life and i and i sort of get you know the the whole concept of being stuck in a life that you know you didn't really choose that's what he's raised by yeah but you can always pull yourself out of it this guy's trash i'm sorry you know even though he gets uh the not guilty verdict it's insanely difficult for me to believe that Alexander Bradley A was lying or that B Aaron Hernandez didn't commit these crimes. Now the jury deliberated after the whole thing was over. They deliver deliberated for about two hours, two hours. They come back out to the judge and they ask the judge, Hey, can we render a guilty verdict based on the testimony 
of a guy who was given immunity. The judge said no. Now, you can read into that however you like, but to me, I read into that as the jury believed Alexander Bradley and needed to know, hey, judge, can we give a guilty verdict because we believe this guy? Yeah. And he said, no, you can't. You need to have more evidence. You need proof. Yeah. Exactly. And because the guy's granted immunity, he can go up there, he can say whatever he wants. It doesn't matter what he says because he's not going to be tried for it. He's not going to be charged for anything he says. They can't look into anything he says being true or false. So he's a non-credible witness, essentially, which is why the judge says no, the testimony of Alexander Bradley is not enough to render a guilty verdict. While that's the case in a court of law, again, go back and listen to that testimony. He's not lying, at least in my opinion. I'm not trying to give you an absolute here, but go listen to it. The guy was as honest as it gets. There was no hesitation in his responses to questions, and there was no filter in his responses to questions. There may have been a, a little bit of animosity. He got shot in the head by the guy. Right. Yeah, by I mean, a guy that he considered a friend. Right. Yeah. And, and the reason he got shot in the head was because he made some sort of joke to Hernandez, apparently, like, oh, yeah, hey, they're going to be looking at you. He got paranoid and shot him in the head for it. And yeah. thought he was dead. He left them for dead, and it turns out the guy survives. Again, you couldn't write this. Guy in a movie gets shot in the head. He dies. He comes back to life. You don't even believe that movie. This is real life. It's crazy. This story is absolutely preposterous. It's insane what has gone on with Aaron Hernandez. And we, I know it's taken a back seat because these trials take forever. They do. But for the families that wanted justice... This isn't right. It's not right. This isn't right. And look, hey, it's a court of law. You need evidence. I get it. But the jury came out and said, and basically said, can we, can we call this guy guilty based on what Alexander Bradley told us? And to me, I read into that and I say, they believed his testimony to the point where they just wanted to call Hernandez guilty. Now, I didn't hear you know, the, the audio from Bradley, but I, what I read was it was so, it was pure. And it was from the heart. There was no nervousness from the guy. Um, no, so I don't think he was lying by any means. Because usually when you're on a podium and you're facing, you know, a guy that sh- shoots you in the head, um, you know, you, you kind of get nervous because you don't want to say something wrong. But if you're testifying but, under immunity, you can say whatever the hell you want. Exactly. There right. aren't going to be any repercussions for it. But, but my whole point is, I, from my standpoint, I believe the guy's telling the truth. And at the end of the day, like Dave said, you know, the jury and the judge really couldn't, you know, give this guy the guilty, um, you know, presence because, you know, not, not enough proof is shown, not enough evidence. So um, when that happens, it, it, you know, there's a lot of complications because there's a lot of missing pieces to the puzzle. And they don't have any really, you know, I guess, background in regards to, you know, why they would say this guy's guilty. So the only safe play is to call him not guilty and at the end of the day it's a very stupid decision because this guy we all know that he definitely did it in some way shape or form well that's what we believe whether he was but it's the way our it's the way our our court system works you know it's the way our judicial system works is you have to have the evidence to back up if you're the jury what your ultimate verdict is what your decision is after however uh, six days of deliberating they did right so you know, they uh, apparently didn't have enough of it. Well, and that's the thing that t- it just popped out to me, though. Six days they deliberate after deliberating for only two hours and coming out and asking that judge, can we, can we call him guilty based on what Bradley said? 
You, can, like, you okay. can't do that. And, and again, I'm not in that room, so I don't know what the attitude of the jury is there. But to oh, me, I, I, to take that, I take that uh, at face value mm. as we believe what this guy said. Can we call him guilty just based on that? Because there's not enough evidence other than what this guy said. Judge says, no, you cannot render a guilty verdict based on a testimony given by a guy who had immunity. Yeah. It's non-credible. Then they deliberate for six more days. But first they deliberated for two hours. Mm -hmm. Came out and asked that question. So to me, it's it, the testimony was believable, but you do have a non-credible witness, and that is how the court system works. It may be a flawed system, but generally, it works. Yeah, and here I, it may not have. I just don't like Hernandez's demeanor too in, in the court. Um, you know the way he, he's smirking, he's laughing, he's because you know what he's doing. He's getting his way, right? And he he's seeing it out, saying well, that I'm a true. I'm a true godfather, gangster, hitman. Nobody can touch me. You know, it's I'm unstoppable, basically. Well, I don't know how much he was getting his way in the first case. In the well, Owen in the Lloyd, first case, In the yeah. Owen Lloyd trial, he was, as you said, smirking, smiling, gesturing to his family. It's like, dude, you're getting tried for murder, and he ultimately got handed the life sentence. And for the first time, I was telling Dave yesterday, for the first time in all the trials that we've had with Aaron Hernandez, the Odin Lloyd trial, this one with the two guys that were killed in the South End, this is the first time we've seen emotion from Aaron Hernandez that appropriately, uh, you know, displays what, what someone in that position would be feeling. Up until that point, we hadn't seen that. We'd seen, like, he was displaying characteristics of a sociopath, a guy that's getting put away for life who's smiling and smirking. You wouldn't see that normally. There's a couple of, uh, of little clips from Bradley's testimony, okay? One of the things that he says uh, with regard to the double murder, and he was in the car with Hernandez. He claims he was in the car with Hernandez. He said he fired five shots, five rounds, followed by several clips, clicks. As he's in the courtroom at this point, the, the victim's families are, are basically weeping. Here's another thing he says about Hernandez's behavior when the two went out together. He said he acted in a demeanor like a tough guy all the time, is the way I would explain it. He, he didn't really like people staring at him. He had a problem with things that most people don't have a problem with. Uh, and then with regards uh, to trying to protect himself, he said he was out to prove something, so he wanted a firearm to protect himself. Uh, he says he, uh, he goes over a couple other situations in which Hernandez lashes out at people, uh, you know, for little things like, uh, spilling a drink basically on Hernandez, uh, you know, and how he freaks out over that. Uh, and then he claims, and this is the, this is the one where if you listen to it, it's just astounding and it's jarring to hear. Bradley claims that Hernandez asked him during the car ride after the shooting. Bradley claims Aaron Hernandez asked him, did you see that? I hit one in the head and one in the chest. I mean, this guy's uh, basically giving these sort of details. You know, and, he, and then after the fact, he says, uh, Hernandez became extremely paranoid. He thought helicopters were following him everywhere, which, uh, I mean, we even heard that. We heard about that, how he thought there were, and, and it turned out at a certain point there on was. his way to Gillette Stadium, there were. Right. There were helicopters uh, following him. He then goes on to talk about uh, how he wanted Mr. Hernandez's life, he says. So Bradley's basically saying, after he gets shot in the head by Hernandez, I wanted to kill Aaron Hernandez. So, and the lawyer on the other side is saying he's trying to extort Mr. Hernandez, but again, he's under immunity, so nothing really matters in this case. Yeah, right. You and know, it's, it's all that stuff. If, and if you listen to the audio, 
this doesn't, me reading it doesn't do it justice. You can hear how honest he's being, how real he's being. Dave, you know what it is? It's a tease because he's saying the real stuff, and now the translation is it doesn't equate to what the purpose is behind the the judge's ruling. Yeah, right. the, the one that just jumped out to me is when he claims that after the shooting happens, so he's, he's with them. He says he fired five shots, five rounds, and count a couple them, clicks. Count them all. He counts. He, he knows how many he fired. Yep. Which, I mean, could have been in the evidence anyway. You know, he might have known how many times the guys got shot and just said it. But I think he was there, and I think he witnessed it. And the one that really sticks out to me is when Bradley claims Hernandez gets in the car afterwards and says, did you see that? I hit one in the head and one He's in the bragging chest. bragging about two guys he killed. Yeah, That's not some dialogue that you just come up with on a whim. You remember what that guy said right. to you when he got in the car after murdering those two guys. You do. And I know we're up against it, but I just want to quickly touch on, you know, if this does go to a retrial or they open up that case. They file for an appeal in the 2013 murder of Odin Lloyd now that they have won this case, Hernandez's team, that is. Be a sequel. I, yeah. I, I just, I don't know how much this will help, given that there's a lot more evidence in that case than there was in this one. I mean, look at the text message that Odin Lloyd sent his sister. Did you see, see who I'm with? NFL. NFL. You know, Lloyd's body, found less than a mile from Aaron Hernandez's house. Hernandez's associates returned a rental car with freaking shell cases. Like, how dumb do you have to be for that? Right. And then, obviously, the footage from the surveillance camera in his house shows Aaron Hernandez holding what we think is the murder weapon around the time that we think Odin Lloyd was killed. So there's a lot of evidence there. So I don't know how much this is going to help there, but it's, it's kind of interesting to think that they could go back and revisit that case. Oh, they can, of uh, yeah. course they can. You can appeal uh, any guilty verdict. And they might decide to appeal it now based on the outcome of this one. And that's a scary thought. I'm they, not yeah, saying that's that going to help the, them. Uh, this one but. can be appealed too. Yeah. This can be appealed by the, vic- by the victim's families. You know, so it's not as if this couldn't eventually get reversed. It's just a really long, trying process when you end up in court like this. Over, or, And especially with Hernandez's status and fame. It's difficult to even find a jury that can be impartial. I think they did. They did. I, I really think they did, and there w- clearly wasn't enough physical evidence to call him guilty. But again, to me, uh, if you just have some common sense and you listen, uh, intuition, uh, when it comes to listening to Bradley's testimony, he's not lying. He's not lying. So, I mean, to me, uh, it's, it's about the families in this case not getting the justice that they deserve. Right. There's no actual... Uh, uh, thing that can happen in terms of the jail time or anything like that. He's already serving the other life sentence, so... Right. It, it doesn't change anything in terms of how long he's going to be in jail unless no the actual Odom consequence. Lloyd, uh, gets reversed. Correct. But, but for that you know, event in 2013, you know, Hernandez and his party have nothing to lose, so he's going to take it to uh, an appeal and see if oh, he can yeah. get Nothing to lose, everything to gain. Exactly. All right, we went way over. We'll be back uh, talking about the Red Sox. They got absolutely crapped on last night. I have no idea what's going on with this team right now. We'll come back talking about that. Sports Blast, ESPN New Hampshire. Don't go anywhere. 1250 ESPN New Hampshire. Manchester's local ESPN. Allergy sufferers are hearing a lot of numbers these days about symptoms and relief. But the number sufferers want most is zero, as in zero nasal allergy symptoms. And nothing gets you closer to zero than Nasacort. Because unlike antihistamines that stop only one cause of your allergy symptoms, Nasacort stops more. And stopping more gets you closer to zero. For 24-hour relief of your worst nasal allergy symptoms, including congestion, choose Nasacort. It stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed.
If there's one thing the pros at Advance Auto know, it's parts. Advance Auto Parts and Batteries, this is Sabrina. Hey Sabrina, my car needs an oil change. We do have five quarts of Mobile One Synthetic for $29.99. That's a great price, right? It's a pretty good deal. Sounds good. That will protect your car in all seasons. Hey, you know your stuff. Why do British singers lose their accent when they sing? I'm sorry? Advance Auto Parts. We know everything about auto parts. Now get five quarts of Mobile One Full Synthetic or Mobile One High Mileage Motor Oil and a Mobile One Filter for just $29.99. See store for details. Also at participating CarQuest stores. In the last decade, more than 400,000 people died on America's roadways. That's one person every 13 minutes. Roadway deaths strike the young or old at any time of the year, at any hour of the day or night. And it doesn't matter whether you drive a car on a highway, ride a motorcycle or bicycle on a country road, or simply take a walk near traffic. Everyone is at risk. Since 1969, members of the American Traffic Safety Services Association have worked diligently to make our nation's roadways safer by providing the majority of roadway safety features, including bright signs and pavement markings, guardrails, and crash cushions. These are just some of the roadway devices that save thousands of lives each day. Since most of our roadways were built in the 1950s, there's so much more work that needs to be done to reach the ultimate goal of zero deaths. Safer roads save lives. To learn how you can get involved, visit ATSSA.com. A public service message from the American Traffic Safety Services Association. In the next 60 seconds, 156 people will be added to Earth's population. Many will face a life of poverty, hunger, and poor health. At some point, planet Earth may no longer be able to sustain our world's population. But overpopulation is not just a numbers game. It's also about a better quality of life, which includes access to basic health care, food, clean water, and a sustainable balance between people and our natural resources. If you think overpopulation is such a big problem that you can't make a difference, think again. Population Connection is the national grassroots organization that believes through education and information, individuals can make a difference. Take the time to make an investment in a better, safer, less crowded world. Even small choices can make an impact. To learn more, visit populationconnection.org. That's PopulationConnection.org, a public service message from Population Connection. Scores, standings, trades, and breaking news. This is your ESPN New Hampshire update. Aaron Hernandez was found not guilty yesterday for a 2012 double homicide that took place in Boston's South End. After six days of deliberations, the jury acquitted the former Patriots tight end on every charge except for unlawful possession of a firearm. Hernandez is still serving a life sentence for the 2013 murder of Odin Lloyd. The Bruins are back in action today. They will be taking on the Ottawa Senators in Game 2 of their first-round series. Forward David Krejci has been ruled out for the game. He's dealing with an upper body injury and did not practice with the team yesterday. Puck drop at Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa is at 3 p.m. You can watch the game on NBC. The Red Sox fell to the Rays 10-5 last night. Rick Porcello was rocked, allowing eight earned runs over just four and a third innings of work. He was tagged for four home runs, including a grand slam by Logan Morrison in the third inning. Porcello is now 1-1 one one with a 7.56 ERA on the season. The Sox will turn to Chris Sale today. He'll be opposed by Jake Odorizzi. First pitch from Fenway is at 4.05. And the Celtics will kick off their postseason tomorrow at the Garden. They'll be opposed by Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler, and the Chicago Bulls. Tip-off in that game is at 6.30. Those are your Sports Center updates. Be sure to listen live on ESPNNHradio.com as well as the ESPN Radio app. And as always, check us out on TuneIn. I'm Ashish Sharma. Don't go anywhere. The Sports Plus continues right now. Ooh, I've 
been creeping under your skin for so long Oh, I am in your head, so tell me, is it wrong? All right, before we wrap up the hour here, I just want to do a quick hit on the Red Sox. Um, you know, with everything going on, Aaron Hernandez, the Bruins, and the Celtics both in the postseason, the Red Sox have sort of taken the back seat today, and I assume that'll be the case for the next couple weeks. But I just want to do a quick hit on Rick Porcello. Like, what the hell is going on with him last night? And, uh, you know, even the start before that, he wasn't really sharp. He was kind of shaky. Sorry, he gutted it out. <laughs> But it was not a, his best performance, absolutely. No. Uh, and I think you, you kind of need that from Porcello without David Price. You still uh, sort of have holes in the rotation if this guy's not going to perform. You know, mm. you, you were counting on him to sort of stop the bleeding a little bit. I know it was only one loss, but it was a bad loss that oh, yeah. they suffered with Stephen Wright on the mound there. Well, and, and that's why I said before, before the season even started, um, you know, that David Price's absence – is really going to put on you know the heels of Rick Purcell. Rick Purcell is going to have to step up. And the reason why I said that is because you know he wins the Cy Young Award, of course, so expectations go higher. But now you, you're going to have to get some production out of these you know two and three guys because without David Price, you know he's a good regular season pitcher. Right, he is. He's he stinks in the postseason, but he's a great regular season pitcher. And you're counting on that to be the case this year, obviously. Exactly. Oh, for sure. So that's why Purcello really needs to step out because you know you know what you're gonna get out of Chris Sale. Okay, Eddie Rodriguez is gonna be average at best. He's gonna be sort of up and down. Yeah, he's gonna be you know even. He had a good, had a good start the other day. Right, but there's gonna be glimpses where the Red Sox are gonna need a guy to step up. And a guy that needs to step up immensely right now is Purcello because he's the number two guy, and he needs he needs to bring the production that right. he brought last year. And you can't count on Stephen Wright at the moment because he's been garbage himself. Well, you know that he's been it, was home, it was home run derby the other day at Fenway when Stephen Wright was pitching against the Orioles. But Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> he is. It's always good uh, to have a Michael Toby from The Office reference. I always can't love those. can't stand Stephen Wright. No. Uh, I just the... don't like knuckleball pitchers in general. Well, yeah, you have a knuckleball bias. It's not anything personal against Stephen Wright. Right, if you're listening. Dave doesn't hate you personally. He yes, just doesn't do. like. He doesn't like knuckleballers in general. I Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey. I hate Dickey. everything about his personality. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about Rick Porcello, I mean, this broke up a string of 20 consecutive starts of six innings or more. He led the majors during that span. So I don't know what's going on because so far, as I've been saying in, his, in my updates, he's 1-1 one one with a 7.56 ERA right now. And it's against and the Rays. It's against the light-hitting Rays. At Fenway, he was 13-1 and one with a 2.97 ERA at home last year. Uh, the only thing I can think of is maybe these day games are just catching up to him where they, they just need they just need a, a night string of games. Like they, 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 they just that have to do with anything. Well, because I mean, y- you look at it, you know, maybe they want like a little balance. And it was, and it, was going a, on. it was a night game yesterday. Yeah, I'm just saying, like over the course of this season, right? This early season, they've had what like six out of the the nine games. Uh, on no, they're playing what ten or eleven now. They've played ten games, and yeah, a lot of them. They had that one entire series in Detroit were all day games. Yep. All day games. So I mean, maybe I'm, it, it is a, a day night thing sometimes with the guys. Maybe some maybe, guys are comfortable with the night. Some guys are comfortable with the day. Well, they haven't been fully healthy, but I mean, they the, haven't had their full complement of players but the since opening day. The rotation's been what you expected it to be. 
Well, Chris Sale has been what I expected him to be. Rick Porcello. No, I, I just mean in terms of the staff that you have, like physical presence yeah. on the mound. It's who you knew you were. Oh, you don't have mean the in, you don't mean the output. You mean in no, terms no, of not who's the, actually not the available. The yes. roster's available. Okay. It's it's who you expected to have out yeah. there. So Rick Porcello was the Cy Young Award winner last year, and you expect him to be uh, the guy that stops the bleeding for you, and it's a. Good thing you got Chris Sale following him up at this point because now you've lost two straight and you need him to stop the bleeding today. The two things that we looked at with Rick Porcello last year, not only was he nearly unhittable at home, he was the guy that you turned to after a loss. He had, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but he had a great record in terms of coming off a loss and starting the next day and stopping the bleeding. And again, He's absolutely right. It's a little early to be having this conversation. But I want to throw it out there and just see how you guys react to this. Sandy Leone has started seven of the first ten games for the Red Sox this year. So mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that so far it's a 70-30 platoon yeah. between himself and Christian Vasquez. This year, the Red Sox pitching staff has a 5-2 ERA when Sandy Leone catches. With Christian Vasquez, it's a 2-4-2 ERA. Now, granted, incredibly small sample size. Christian Vasquez has started only three games. But if that continues here for the next week or two, where there's a pretty discernible difference in ERA between the two catchers, I think you're going to see Christian Vasquez get more playing time you won't, because though. he's better defensively, he's better at calling games than Sandy Leone, he's better at framing pitches, and Sandy Leone is no uh, you know, uh, scrub when it comes to catching. Defensively, he's a pretty decent pit, he's, uh, catcher. He's been very good. What have but, they thrown out seven of eight uh, people who have tried to steal? He's been very like good. Like an 85% clip that throwing but, but, out base runners. But you look at the ERA difference, and again, it's it's 10 games out of 162 that mm-hmm. they're going to end up playing. Yeah. So it's a very small sample size. But I just look at, so far this season, Sandy Leon, 5-2-0 ERA the pitchers have when he's catching but you're not versus gonna... a 2-4-2 when Christian Vasquez is catching. Right. I mean, it's, just, the, it's something to think about. The offensive production from the catching spot is not going to be consistent like it has been for the first couple of games of the season. Oh, Christian here. Vasquez started like 5 for 5. Output. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that if you've got a guy that calls a better game, you go with him uh, over the long haul. So maybe Vasquez, once the catching comes back down to earth, he's going to be your guy out there calling games for all these guys. Because I think he calls a better game. And I also he think, frames pitches. I also think despite Leon's success at throwing out base runners, that Vasquez is better at that too. Yeah, and So I, you're going to you know downgrade offensively. but I, I don't see that happening though. And the reason why I say that is because John Farrell loves to stick with his guys. And I think Leon is one of his guys. But something going unwritten is somebody needs to step up in a leadership role now that David Ortiz is out. Okay, offense is looking atrocious right now. They really need to start putting up runs when they have great pitching outings. And today's one of the days you got to start with Chris Hill on the mound. Chris Hill's got to get them rolling now. All right, wrapping up hour number two here on the Sports Blast. We'll be back talking more about the Bruins after this. ESPN New Hampshire.